Sunrift Adventures and Historic Travelers Rest South Carolina has been outfitting the foothills for over 37 years with the best boats, bikes, tents, and more. With great brands, Sunrift has you covered for every adventure. Stop into Sunrift Adventures' unique outdoor shop and say hello today. Go to sunrift.com for more information. That's sunrift.com. Nature's Edge is brought to you by the Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina, Western North Carolina's only magazine dedicated to the fishing enthusiast. Pick one up at over 400 locations throughout Western North Carolina or visit them online at theanglermagazine.com to find out more. And be sure to follow them on Facebook, Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina.com. Hey guys, Dale Stewart here and welcome to Nature's Edge. Those of you that know me know I'm a big fan of uh, fellow explorers. And uh, also, those of you that know me know that uh, here in the last few years, I have really been promoting great women explorers of the past, uh, like Gertrude Bell and Isabel Bird and, and just a, a host of, of amazing women explorers, which sadly, uh, a lot of the world doesn't know about. You know, they, they know about DeSoto, they know about Lewis and Clark and Scott and Shackleton. But few know the uh, the incredible accomplishments of, of of these ladies that I was just talking about, and, uh, and we wanted to change that. And I am so pleased and and honored uh, today uh, to to have a, a an amazing lady and an amazing explorer uh, as my guest. And uh, she is a, a a geoscientist. She's a journalist. She's a conservationist. Uh, she's a friend. Her name is Susan Eaton, and Susan is a, she's a fellow of the Royal Geographic. Oh, I'm sorry, Royal Canadian Geographical Society. I got to put that Canadian in there for Susan, and uh, she uh, explores the world's uh, oceans, and uh, she has explored from the Antarctic to the Arctic, uh, in in the snorkel zone, which is kind of a unique land, sea, ice, air interface where. Uh, uh, animals and and uh, amazing things kind of congregate and uh in 2018 uh the ocean geographic named susan one of the ocean's best 18 most influential women leaders in ocean conservation and uh she is just a a, a great lady and a great friend and susan welcome to nature's edge dale it's a pleasure to be with you this afternoon we uh we are so proud to have you on the air and uh um I'm going to just jump right in here Susan. I know you've been involved with uh with a a the Sydney expedition uh uh program for a number of years where you put together a group of of uh mostly all women explorers and you guys have done some pretty amazing things and I'd just like you to share some of those uh experiences with our audience. Absolutely. Well, at the outset, uh, Sedna, uh, the name Sedna is an Inuit name, and uh, she's the Inuit goddess of the ocean from Alaska to Greenland. Sedna is the mother of all marine mammals, so it's only fitting that uh, she's part of our team and that uh, we're named after her. But prior to naming the expedition Sedna, I I consulted with uh, Inuit elders and, and women to determine that it was appropriate to call the expedition Sedna. And, and they concluded that because it's an expedition made up of women, an expedition that is working with Inuit women and girls on empowerment issues, and an expedition that is, is working on ocean science and conservation with respect to climate change and ocean change, 
that the name would be appropriate. So hence, we're called the Sedna Epic Expedition, and we're comprised primarily of women. We do have a few male advisors uh, and sometimes the odd dive master who's male, but predominantly the team is all women. Yeah, it's uh, and that, and that's pretty amazing. Uh, not not that it's all women, but the work that that you ladies have uh, have done with the, with the Inuits uh, in, uh, in in primarily Greenland, but you've also worked uh, with Inuits in other other areas like Canada and and what about Iceland, uh, Susan? Well, there's no Inuit in Iceland, but we have been to Iceland. Uh, we've snorkeled in the uh, Mid Atlantic Rift where the ridge comes up onto the uh, island of Iceland. We've actually snorkeled where and scuba dived there, where a scuba diver can place one hand on the Eurasian tectonic plate and the other on the North American plate because it's spreading apart at two to three centimeters uh, each year. Yeah. Uh, the Inuit, who we work with primarily, have been in Canada and, and Greenland. Uh, they've been in, in Maine, Labrador, which is in the northern part of Canada, up the Labrador uh, shelf. Uh, they've been on Baffin Island in Nunavut, uh, in communities uh, including Pond Inlet and Iqaluit, which is the uh, capital of the territory of Nunavut. And then we've worked with uh, Inuit uh, on the uh, southwest coast of Greenland as well. And when I say work, uh, what we're doing is we're working in communities with women and girls, and we're delivering an ocean um, knowledge uh, sharing and mobilization program. In the South, a lot of people say ocean outreach. We're doing ocean outreach uh, to kids. Yeah. Uh, but in the North, we've determined through experience that the Inuit already know a lot about the ocean. They their do. lives yeah. are connected to the ocean culturally and in their traditions, and their food comes from the ocean. So it, it would be rather presumptive of us to say that we're coming to the Arctic to to deliver ocean education outreach to these kids even and, and their parents and grandparents. So we've evolved into a model which is ocean knowledge sharing and ocean knowledge mobilization. And, and we're doing it differently, and we're using underwater robots. So the kids are building underwater robots that have movie cameras on them so they can build them, they can design them and fly them in the ocean what and see what lives underwater. The second element of the program is we're using a large mobile aquarium, and our scientific dive team collects invertebrates and small fishes and puts them in the aquaria. And the kids and their parents and grandparents see what lives in the ocean because they don't access these animals in the benthic zone and, and some of these small fish they don't fish for. So many of them have never seen these animals, and they don't even have a nook to put names for them, their own language, because they don't see them regularly. And the third element of bringing the ocean to eye level for Inuit that we do is uh, with young girls, uh, ages 16 to 24, girls and young women, we're taking them snorkeling. So we're actually immersing them in the Arctic waters and showing them what lives underwater, really uh, face-to-face, you know, with their scuba diving masks. And and the transformation has been remarkable because these are generally non-swimming people. They're non-swimming because culturally they never swam. If they fell in the water, they might die. And secondly, in in these communities today, most of them don't have swimming pools, so the kids don't learn how to swim. And and death by drowning is one of the leading causes of mortality of Canadian Inuit people. Yes, uh, it's it's interesting. Um, 
the work that you're doing with these these young ladies and and uh, and these these school age students does that carry on or are there programs available to them, um, Susan? After you guys leave, that that are going on yeah. year round. Well, we've been doing this now since 2016, and our mentorship program for young girls, ages 16 to 24, right. we're continuing with that program, and, and two of the young women in 16 in uh, Iqaluit in uh, Nunavut who learned how to snorkel in polar waters were certified as scuba divers in the summer of six, uh, 18, and they became uh, full team members with Team Sedna this summer and got to dive in their own backyard in uh, Nunavut. So for me, that's a great progression, taking young women from barely swimming to snorkeling in polar waters to becoming certified open water paddy divers. And, and we're hoping that as we work with these girls and young women, that by leading, by doing, we can show them that there's careers in the ocean that they can do in their own backyard. For example, they may have to come south for their education, but they can return to Nunavut or Labrador or Greenland and become marine biologists or archaeologists, or uh, underwater photographers, videographers, storytellers, or teachers, or explorers, because all of these women are represented in our team. And what I might add, too, is that the reason the team is all women is that the Inuit culture and society is matriarchal in its makeup, and the women are the leaders, and the women become the politicians, they become the mayors, uh, they had the not-for-profit organizations, they start the food banks, and so on. And because there's such a societal need uh, in these communities, and there's a gap because of remoteness primarily, uh, I determined that the best way that Sedna could be uh, uh, useful and, and, and contribute to the discussion of climate change and ocean change is to tackle societal change at the same time. Because these societies are modernizing, they're remote, and there's a lot of social issues that the Inuit are tackling that are exacerbated by climate change and ocean change, which is climate change in the water. So they're all interconnected, Dale. Do you find that the uh, that the Inuit, Susan, are are aware of, of climate change and are aware of, of uh, all of the politics worldwide sort of surrounding that? I do, and I, and I think uh, the Inuit, more than anyone, are experiencing climate change in real time. I agree. They're experiencing uh, the foundations of their buildings shifting and cracking um, because of melting and shifting permafrost. They're experiencing uh, problems navigating ice. And what I mean by that is the Inuit have always been able to read ice, and there's hundreds of words in Inuktitut for ice. Yes. And the Inuit traveled on the ocean in the winter by dog sled originally, walking dog sled, and now by snowmobile. And, and they used uh, the, the ice as their transportation corridor in the winter to hunt and to move around. And today, because the ice is, is, is thinning, the pack ice is thinning, and its uh, aerial extent is diminishing, it's changing so rapidly that the Inuit can no longer read the ice. And they're falling through. They're, they're falling through in their snowmobiles. They're getting stranded. Hunters are out hunting, and pieces of ice are breaking off. And luckily for them, they're usually carrying satellite uh, beacons with them, and they can call search and rescue. But uh, So they're seeing that. And then climate change also is impacting animals on the land. And the animals on the land need the ice in the winter to move from summer to winter 
uh, grazing areas if they're large ungulates, right? So, or muskox even. Right. So the Inuit, more than anyone, I think, are seeing climate change in real time. And um, they understand as well the issue of climate and, and anthropogenic sources of climate uh, change. And recently, one of the largest Inuit organizations in uh, Nunavut just signed a pact to ban um, black carbon in ships uh, traversing Arctic waters. So they're moving forward, and they're actually moving with their power corporation is, is uh, testing out renewable energy, including um, solar and wind turbines, because right now they burn diesel fuel to make their electricity. Because there's no integrated integrated power network in Nunavut, uh, a territory larger than Europe with only 26 small communities. They each have their own power source, and they burn diesel. That's that's the only option to them now. But but. Solar in the summer and wind turbines could could actually prove quite, uh, I think, quite a good alternative, at least seasonally, to reduce the carbon footprint of producing energy for the north. Do they have some wind turbines available now? Um, they're working on it. They've got the community selected, and they're going to do some demonstration projects. In Greenland, how, or just across the Davis Strait, uh, they're further ahead than in Canada's uh, Inuit communities, and they're using um, turbines, solar uh, they're using run of river, which means uh, you can actually put small turbines on the uh, riverbed and actually right. generate electricity that way, too. And and I think a, another source for everyone in these communities would be uh, cogeneration of power and use the garbage as the source, because these communities generate a lot of garbage, and there's nowhere to put it. There's no landfills in the Arctic because of the permafrost. So I do believe that one of the great energy sources is the garbage dumps in the future. Mm, interesting. And I think they'll get there sometime. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, and, and they are looking at that, I know, as well, uh, that, that they are kind of looking at, at using garbage uh, as a power source. It makes absolute sense to me because everything is shipped in by boat. That's great. Or once a year generally or by air. And all the packaging materials, uh, you know, go to the landfill. And uh, quite frankly, they could be uh, incinerated, and uh, the energy that's created from that could produce electricity for them. Susan, you know I'm a big culture guy, and I'm going to ask you, uh, what do you think one of the, or or some of the big misconceptions that people have about the Inuit? Well, in Canada especially, um, most Americans and even, even Southern Canadians and definitely Europeans um, don't understand the connection to the land and the sea right. and the fact that they still hunt uh, marine mammals, which would include bowhead whales, uh, belugas and narwhals, and, and seals. And, and quite frankly, because they live in such remote communities and because the cost of food is so high uh, to fly it in, uh, most Inuit can't afford the food in the grocery stores. For example, uh, two gallons of milk might be $16.00. In Nunavut, um, and and so they're hunting because one, it's traditional, and they always have, and two, um, they're getting their food from the ocean. And for example, there's a, uh, has been a European ban on sealskin coming from Canada, and it was really prompted by the uh, the, the harp seal hunt in, in the Gulf of St. Lawrence with Newfoundland sure. sealers. Yeah. But the Inuit themselves um, hunt seals. They eat every part of the seal, and they make gorgeous clothing from that those seal pelts. Oh, that but because do. of the European ban, the Inuit have not been able to 
to sell uh, their market uh, their their products widely. And our team members who are Inuit and our uh, team advisors um, are hunters. Uh, the women make beautiful sealskin clothing, and they're very proud of, of the traditions and cultures um, that they continue and that they teach their young people. So I think that that's one of the biggest misconceptions is why don't they just eat meat, yeah. you know, because they can't afford it. So food sustainability in the Arctic is a big issue, uh, both in Canada and in Greenland. But uh, So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. A second one is that they don't live in igloos anymore. Right. Yeah. Of course they don't live in igloos, but every Inuit knows how to build an igloo because if you're out hunting and you get stuck, um, you're probably going to need to build an igloo to stay warm and, and, and stave off hyperthermia. Yep. So I've been I've been in places where they're teaching the kids how to build igloos. It's a good skill to know how to, to, to build an igloo. Um, oh, it is. Maybe I think you're it... going to put your food in the igloo to protect it from predators. Uh, maybe, you know, whatever. Um, some. It's really interesting because there's only maybe one or two generations of Inuit from the land right now. And if you meet someone who is over over 50 or 60, they might have been born in a sod house in a summer hunting camp that's, or an igloo. That's true. But so, yeah, and, and that amount of change in their lives modernization, if you will, has had profound social impacts yeah. on their society. We've got, uh, we've got about five minutes, Susan. There's a couple of things. Uh, my next question is, what's next for, uh, for Sedna? Well, um, since 2014, we have uh, taken 65 women to the Arctic in three separate expeditions, 14, 16, and 18, and we've reached about a thousand youth uh, in communities in Greenland, Labrador, and uh, Baffin Island, which is Nunavut. Yeah. Uh, we continue to reach children uh, using Google Hangouts, which is a really great way to, to continue. Ask me about continuous programming. We endow the communities with the underwater robots that we bring, so that the teachers and elders can keep running programs for the kids to to build them and to fly them. Uh, we're looking at going back to the Arctic in 2020. Uh, another all-female expedition, and, uh, you know, it'll be Greenland and Nunavut as well, more of the same, but we also do science. At the same time, we yeah, have uh, top-notch scientists, so we're looking at Greenland sharks and plankton and plastics and uh, ice and so on. Uh, but but most of the women, even the scientists in our team, tell me that the most rewarding part of the expedition for them has been the interaction with the Inuit women, the elders, and the youth program. Yeah, I, these I f- are top-notch explorers and scientists saying, I really feel uh, like I've contributed something when I'm in the community. Absolutely. One last thing uh, before we have to wind up here. I, I do want to congratulate you on uh, on being, uh, I guess, the first female explorer and, and all to speak at the, uh, at the Harvard Traveler Club. Yes, I think it's the first female team, actually. Yeah. Uh, team, and uh, that club was founded in 1902, a few years before the Explorers Club, of, of which I am a member as well. Yes. And so it's really exciting to speak at the Harvard Club of Boston and to address the Harvard Travelers Club because famous polar explorers like Perry, Amundsen, um, Shackleton, and uh, Bartlett, Captain Bartlett from yes. Canada as well, and Stephenson from 
Canada have spoken there. So it was very humbling for me and our and my team members to present to the club who supported uh, our 2018 expedition to Nunavut and Greenland, by the way. Uh, very exciting, indeed. Yeah, uh, again, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Susan, if people want to learn a little more about uh, what you guys are doing, uh, is there a website or is there any, any way they can? There is a uh, website, absolutely, and it's just simply sednaepic.com, S-E-D-N-A-E-P-I-C.com. Uh, if they're into tw- and, and on our website, all the social media channels are listed there. But if they're into Twitter or Instagram, it's it's at Sedna Epic is, is where they can find us. We're always looking for volunteers. We're looking for new team members. We're looking for financial support to keep our programs with youth going. And uh, we're always looking for new partners, uh, whether they are financial or scientific or services in kind or whatever. Uh, it takes a huge community to send uh, Team Sedna to the Arctic every two years, and, and that community is growing, and, and I invite your listeners to, to become part of our community. Well, I will, uh, I will continue to, uh, uh, to make them aware of, uh, of what you guys are doing and, and where you're heading and where you're going. And, uh, gosh, one of these days uh, I, I hope to join you on one of them as well. Absolutely. You know, um, you don't have to be a top-notch scuba diver or snorkeler to be part of Team Sedna. You, you just have to be passionate about the planet and, and want to make a difference. Well, you know that, uh, Susan, and I want to record some of the nature sounds up there. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we actually did some acoustic recording um, this uh, summer past with a directional hydrophone built uh, for us by the Scripps uh, Oceanographic Institution, which is very exciting. Wow. i got to hear that sometime uh, mm-hmm. when we got it. Well, Susan, I appreciate you so much, uh, not only what you're doing uh, with the Inuit and, and, uh, and the great work you're doing uh, uh, with, with, the, with the other women, and uh, I look forward to, uh, to having you back on uh, uh, maybe uh, sometime in the next few months uh, as, as you begin to plan for, uh, plan for the, next, the next event. Thank you so much, Dale. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Susan. You've been listening to Dale Stewart and Nature's Edge, and we will see you in the wild. Visit naturesedgemedia.com. You can check out podcasts, videos, lecture archives from Dale, and much more. Thank you for listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, brought to you by Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina. Sun Rift Adventures and Historic Traveler's Rest South Carolina has been outfitting the foothills for over 37 years with the best boats, bikes, tents, and more. With great brands, Sun Rift has you covered for every adventure. Stop into Sun Rift Adventures' unique outdoor shop and say hello today. Go to sunrift.com for more information. That's sunrift.com. Montree College's School of Adult and Graduate Studies offers busy adults like you the opportunity to pursue associate's, bachelor's, and master's degrees. Taking one class at a time, one night a week at our South Asheville campus, just off of Hendersonville Road at 29 Turtle Creek Drive, or fully online to help you fit education into your busy life. More information is online at success.montree.edu. Montree College AGS. Sharpen your thinking, apply your faith, enhance your career. success.montree.edu. The Blue Horizons Project offers a variety of energy efficiency programs and resources for Buncombe County businesses and residents. Save money and energy while preserving our region's beauty. Creating a clean energy future takes collaboration from every part of our community. Discover the options. Visit BlueHorizonsProject.com. 
www.ghanimmigrantsupport.com today for more information.